today we're talking about trauma, you know, what it is and what are the solutions to addressing it and what are the programs that are doing this work. We've got some remarkable leaders uh, here with us today from different parts of the country, uh, leaders that are focused on helping crime victims recover from trauma. I'm excited for today's uh, episode to talk about trauma um, in this incredible model called the Trauma uh, Recovery Center, which is a comprehensive uh, model to meet the needs of the most marginalized crime victims to address barriers to recovery and to help crime survivors heal. Uh, my guests today are Dr. Uh, uh, Dorit Sabiri from the Safe Harvard Trauma Recovery Center in Los Angeles, California, and also Stephen Massey from the City Lookout Trauma Recovery Center in Springfield, uh, Ohio. But before we jump into the conversation, a bit of background on how uh, crime survivors for safety and justice came into this issue of trauma and advocating for uh, trauma recovery services. So we started with a small group of diverse crime victims, you know, to ask about their experiences uh, in recovering. So we asked this question, what matters most to help crime victims? What do crime victims need? The top answer across the board was support recovering from trauma. That small group then sought out to see what was out there in this way that kind of helped uh, crime victims who were falling through the cracks. Uh, one program uh, in San Francisco, uh, we went and toured uh, this center and, and talked to their leadership. Uh, we found out that they were struggling to maintain uh, resources to stay open. Um, at this time, it was the only program uh, of a trauma recovery center model in San Francisco, the only one. Um, in the nation, but was struggling to keep their doors open. So we set out to get more funding uh, for that one uh, TRC so we can see that model uh, grow um, uh, in 2013. And But since then, our advocacy through uh, legislation, through state budget requests, and meeting with elected officials and state leaders, we've been able to grow that model to 39 trauma recovery centers across the country in nine states. So it's been so exciting to see this model grow uh, across the country. And I'm excited to have two uh, leaders that are doing uh, this incredible trauma recovery center work in their respective communities. So let's get into it. So let's start with you, uh, Dari. You are in Los Angeles. Uh, this is one of the nation's largest cities in a place that has been a center of a lot of attention related to shifting crime rates and safety issues like gun violence or gangs. So tell us, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get involved in your work to submit to support crime victims and why? Yes, thank you, Aswad. Uh, I work at Harbor UCLA, it's one of uh, the largest county hospitals, level one trauma hospitals in LA County, one of three. And I have worked with trauma survivors for about 20 years, the entirety of my career as a psychologist. Um, I started with youth, children, youth, and um, young adults in uh, the juvenile justice system, in correctional settings with adults. My goals there were to reduce recidivism and really find healing outside of correctional systems. So I worked with mothers, with young children who were duly diagnosed and uh, kind of were 
victims of the rotating door, revolving door, coming in and out of jail and being convicted for crimes largely that they either did not commit or were coerced to commit because of an abuser. Many were survivors of domestic violence, human trafficking, and so on. And then I moved on from there to work at Harbor and was writing a grant to receive the Trauma Recovery Center at Harbor UCLA. And the grant is through the California Victim Compensation Board. And I've been working there since 2019. It was the inception of the Safe Harbor Trauma Recovery Center. Awesome. Thank you. And we're going to hear more about the Safe uh, Harbor uh, Trauma Recovery Center in L.A. Uh, Stephen, uh, we'd love for you to introduce yourself and how did you get involved in this work in supporting uh, victims of crime and why? Yes. Well, thank you. Um, I'm just very honored and uh, just really excited to be here. And um, so I, I, it's funny. uh, uh some of our backgrounds are similar. Uh, I've done some work, youth work, and and worked with kids um, uh, in settings uh, such as group homes, and did youth work and juvenile centers, and did some stuff um, with uh, developmental disabilities, and just the work just carried on through addictions work, working uh, for uh, an addictions agency for probably fifteen years, and then moving on to behavioral health, just there's an intersection and just a passion for people. And then the opportunity was brought to us by our Ohio attorney general who was able to listen to ASJ and the TRC out of UC San Francisco and Dr. Alicia Bossolari. And so we were all summons to listen. And when I heard about what was going on, I was, uh, I was all in and I'll tell you what, it's, it's been the most rewarding piece of work I've been a part of thus far in my journey. Well, thank you so much so excited about this conversation because we were talking about uh, trauma uh, recovery. I remember, you know, just years ago when um, I was a a victim of gun violence, going into that hospital, um, you know, suffering from those wounds and being discharged from the hospital, um, not connected to any services uh, to help me uh, heal. Um, And and that's why the Trauma Recovery Center um, is, is so important of, of why we need to meet the needs of, of crime survivors. Uh, so, Stephen, um, we, we, we also want to hear a little bit from you about your uh, program, uh, City Lookout, and, and kind of impact, uh, you know, your work uh, have in your community. So, you know, Stephen, like Springfield, Ohio, uh, which is very different from Los Angeles. You know, this is a city uh, less than 100,000 residents in the Midwestern part of the country. And yet there are similarities in terms of poverty, as well as concentrated violence. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the uh, City Lookout Trauma Recovery Center and and work that you all are doing? Yes, the City Lookout Trauma Recovery Center was a a small, uh, just grassroots, nonprofit refuge center where we did a lot of trauma counseling and working with underserved communities. Our goal was to make sure that people were served regardless of their ability to pay. If they could not pay, we would still serve them. And from springing into a TRC, we were able to just kind of model what was done in UC San Francisco. So we're a standalone community-based TRC, and we work with hospital systems. We have a trauma one and trauma two that are close to us. We also work with our prosecutors, victims, witness office, and we do a lot of work with the state, and we do a lot of work with the other TRCs who are in other cities as we kind of cross-refer and serve survivors. But we've been able to just provide that comprehensive piece of counseling, advocacy, 
and advocating for victims and their rights and making sure that we help them move forward in their journey. It's just been a joy for me to go down in the trenches and work with even young black men and and people of color who would normally not get victim services and to tell them. And it's, it's just amazing how many people don't even know that they're entitled to be served by a TRC. And we're just grateful we have one here. Uh, we've had one of we've had a mass shooting in our city uh, in Springfield. And, and so we, we've worked closely with the Dayton uh, mass shooters and we work with some of the survivors from that crime and the families and co-victims. And so we're just here to, here to help the community heal and do our part. Wow. Such, such, such incredible work of, you know, meeting the needs of, of young men of color. Um, which you know, um, you know, as a survivor myself, and and and, and traveling uh, this country, there aren't a lot of uh, services uh, for young men of color. And and to hear that you are, you know, this is a population that's underserved, and um, that you are meeting uh, that needs. Um, we once again, you know, we'll, we'll hear more about the work that you all are doing. Uh, Dury, you are over there in Los Angeles. Uh, uh, Stephen mentioned that his uh, TRC is it's more community level and work in partnership with hospitals and and law enforcement and other key stakeholders. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the Safe Harbor uh, TRC uh, and, and the program and services that you all provide to the community? Sure. Yeah, we work as part of the Harbor UCLA County Hospital. Um, we're also funded by CalVCB. And our mission is really to f- uh, provide holistic care based in social justice systems. So really also embrace the idea of social justice and work with the community. And we do that by, again, offering the free, the same as, as Stephen was talking about, free um, regardless of insurance and regardless of um, crime. So the crime doesn't have to be reported. There doesn't have to be a police report as long as it's a, a factor of interpersonal violence. And we provide care for people who survive domestic violence, sexual traumas, human trafficking, refugees and asylum seekers, and, and really everyone that could be under that umbrella of interpersonal violence. We also work with communities uh, in terms of providing training, consultation, education, collaboration, and we have a number of uh, stakeholders and community partners. Uh, one of them I can mention is After Innocence, and it's uh, a legal foundation that works with exonerees, people who were convicted of crimes and served time and now were found innocent. And after many, many years in prison, are now released and are trying to be reintegrated and find uh, a life worth living, essentially, and are running into obstacles. So we do specific outreach for that organization. We also work in unison with Fostering Unity, which is a nonprofit organization that works with uh, foster children and resource parents and really try to increase stabilization so that there isn't the frequent movement in the foster care system and the children receive the care and nurturance they need in order to avert trauma in the future. And this one is actually near and dear to my my heart, being a resource parent and an adoptive mom myself, and uh, also seeing the effects of intergenerational trauma, uh, being having being someone who is also from a refugee background. So, uh, our focus is really to increase that stability and permanence, and avert the future trauma. As I was saying. So, Dorit, so you have a, a lot of people who are listening across the country who may not know what trauma is. So, um, you know, what is trauma and what kind of impact can it have if people do not get the support to address it? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, you can think of trauma as the emotional response to any distressing event. And we used to think that it would be an event that most people would be distressed about, but really we think about it more as a subjective idea of this being distressful uh, to someone. And it could be natural disasters, the human trafficking experience, it could be gun violence, uh, it could be even in a sense a, a type of abuse or neglect in a home, which to the outside observer may seem mild, but for a a particular child, it's extreme because of their particular sensitivity. So we usually think of childhood trauma in terms of adverse childhood events. And there are a number of them. And we, when we think about them, we really see that there is effect on their future. So things like maternal depression or sexual abuse, emotional sexual abuse, substance abuse in the family, emotional neglect, even divorce, mental illness, incarceration or homelessness in the family. And all these really contribute to medical sequela, psychological sequela, uh, lots of health conditions. If you have three or more of these ACEs I just mentioned, can cause a vast increase, anywhere from 20 to 30 to 40 percent increase in these health be- and health risks. And so the other sequela of trauma can be Uh, demands on the person's ability to thrive, to have freedom, to actualize their life in the way they envisioned when they were younger before this trauma occurred, uh, giving up life goals. Um, And then the more classic syndromes that we think about that are associated with PTSD, like the hypervigilance, the flashbacks, uh, similar to what uh, people who survived battle veterans who are coming back and are experiencing. I think the most important uh, sequela that I really run into is the cognition that they're not good enough, the negative cognitions about themselves and their efficacy. Uh, Somehow the idea of I'm damaged, I'm injured, it's hopeless, that could be the more chronic and I think the more devastating or debilitating part of trauma. That's a great point to read. You know, trauma affects so many people and dealing with trauma without support can lead to people losing jobs, housing, experiencing family stress, revictimization, and even self-medicating with substances. Stephen, um, how does trauma, you know, how, how does that relate to the criminal justice system? Like based on your work and your experiences of working with survivors, you know, what are the experiences of victims, you know, what, you know, when they have interacting with the justice system in the aftermath of crime? I would echo what uh, we, we've just heard of that. Um, you know, it's interesting you were just talking about it. I was just thinking about along the lines of many survivors who have been exposed even to the criminal justice system and then go on to be survivors of crime, whether it be past or present, uh, that there is um, a mindset that, and even society, uh, they have this way they portray crime survivors is that uh, you did this, we don't care, but look what you did in the past. And uh, it's kind of like something that haunts them. And it's like a stigma that is carried, uh, that should not be carried uh, for any human uh, to who needs to be able to like recover, heal, grow, thrive. And so, yeah, uh, just even with victims compensation, we know that's, that's a battle in itself that many of us have been working on and ASJ has championed 
along with other people around the nation to, to fight for survivors of crime to make sure that we are not stigmatizing them and continue to punish them and, and, and make them feel like they're, they're worthy and hopeless when something bad happens to, happen to them that we should be supporting them with. And you, you are just really bringing up, you know, um, some, you know, major challenges, you know, I mean, I heard from you all talk, talk about like the TRC that, you know, that, that survivors don't have to pay. Um, I heard you all talk about, you know, the barriers and access and things like uh, victim conversation, the impact of like, you know, PTSD having on uh, a crime survivors. So this is a, you know, this is a trauma and people not getting the help they need. Like that is a major challenge. The Victims Compensation Program is often the primary source of help for victims that don't have anywhere to go for support. You know, it's the payer of last resort for families, but many people don't know about it or they get denied when they apply because they don't qualify for being eligible. And it's not something that's really uh, addressed, especially in uh, communities uh, most impacted uh, by crime. You know, those communities are least supported uh, by the justice system. You know, let's talk about the solutions uh, uh, Dorit, would love to start with you. Um, how do, you know, trauma recovery centers help? You know, can you share examples of how trauma recovery centers support uh, victims of crime? Absolutely. Uh, so the trauma recovery centers are based in a trauma-informed care model. So the idea is to outreach and engage in a in a way that creates safety, that creates rapport, and that can even start at bedside, even in an ICU. So uh, Aswad, you were talking about being a survivor of gunshot wound, and you didn't get that care right out of the hospital. So trauma recovery centers in general, and specifically ours, since we're based in a hospital, we begin our outreach during that hospitalization after a crime has occurred. And we're there not just to support the person who is the survivor who is uh, there in the hospital, but also the families. The other emphasis of many trauma recovery centers and our own especially is to work with families. And we do that again in the hospital during that outreach phase. We work with other communities like uh, community organizations like NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness in the South Bay chapter. And we work with them for reform referrals and also to support survivors of crime and survivors of trauma because they have lived experience. They are families who may have survived it. So they're right there alongside us doing some of the outreach and speaking to other families and providing that support and being our partners. Uh, we provide evidence-based psychotherapy, and that's important when you're starting to integrate the trauma and uh, make sense of it, make meaning of it, and maybe get to a place where it doesn't have to be PTSD, that it's actually post-traumatic growth or even resilience building in the long run. So our evidence-based modalities really focus on resiliency building. The way we think about trauma-informed care is to create that safety, that collaboration. The person feels like they have a voice. They're not told what to do. We join them and uh, go on this journey of where to find that freedom and where to find that thriving that can enhance their life despite of what happened. We also think of social justice issues and think about how to advocate at a macro level. How do we reach 
the the bigger political system how do we reduce structural oppression and and how do we really uh, look at what needs to change at a fundamental level in order to create better resilience for communities we call it radical healing how do we heal from those wounds and and really thrive as communities that's some of the work we do that's great radical healing wow uh, that is so uh, powerful. Um, and even the name itself, trauma recovery, um, um, is also uh, speaks a lot. Uh, Stephen, would love to hear more about, you know, you all's work uh, in Springfield. I know you do a lot of work uh, working with uh, young men of color. Um, you know, how do trauma recovery uh, centers help? And can you share any example of how uh, trauma recovery centers uh, support victims of crime? I think I first want to start with the fact that we we are big on collaboration and we have made sure that the established victim service providers, uh, that we partner with them, like our women's domestic violence shelter, uh, our, our um, the uh, prosecutor's office victims witness and any other agencies, our children's services agencies, uh, any agencies that where there is a lot of trauma and people who are trying to impact and help people in trauma. I'm thinking about one of the niches to, to TRCs is that the cultural aspect of us coming beside people and honoring their culture, uh, making sure that we don't think we know how to serve them, but knowing and finding more about who they are and what they value opposed to what we think they should be valuing. Uh, just working with young black men, working with like refugees, uh, immigrants working with uh, LGBTQ uh, transgender population, knowing that uh, we need to make sure that uh, they understand that we're there for them and we love and care for them and that they deserve to be treated with dignity and they need to be honored. And I always like to use this phrase that I've heard that I heard the first time we were doing some of the things with ASJ and the TRCs is that we want to make the survivor the expert on their life. We want to make sure that we honor that peace because uh, it's their life and, and we want them to live the life that they want to live and that we give them things uh, according to what they say they need. We have the, the, uh, the therapy-based uh, interventions that we, we practice. And what I love about our TRC is that we've been re real intentional about creating a diverse uh, service here with people who are, uh, we've, had, we've got uh, counselors of color, we have, you know, counselors with different backgrounds, and we make sure that we serve people according to that. And we actually incorporate that piece with inside of our team. We're, we're big on DEI, and we want to make sure that we always are checking one another, trying to grow and get better so we can stay uh, in the game to do the right thing. And so it's, it's, been, a, it's been a joy. I love, I love our work here in our small town. Can I just add a, qu a quick of thing? Of course, yeah. Many aspects of care begin with just the basic needs. So safe housing, uh, if someone wants to go back to work, how do we assist with that? So this idea of doing a service partnership or another word for case management to create that safety and to not necessarily have to be victims anymore because of circumstance, because of lack of funds or because of lack of uh, appropriate housing, because of housing density, uh, being in public sector types of jobs and being exposed to the pandemic more often 
uh, as well and that affecting communities of color. So how does trauma really impact communities uh, in an inequitable way? And how do we come in to resolve some of these inequities is also one of the missions, I think, for all TRCs. Yeah. Can I add something real quick to that? Uh, And just giving them the power of choice, restoring that, making sure that the choice is theirs. It's amazing to work with a survivor who's distressed and to be somewhere with them and do something as simple, like you were saying with basic services, as to say, what do you want to eat? Where do you want to eat? And to see their head lift up and say, it's your choice. Uh, whatever, whatever you want. Let's. What do you want? And, and to see them take that command, and that starts, uh, you know, it just starts the, the cycle of them being able to say, "Hey, you know, I get to make some choices today." And that's what we want to, them to understand that this is your life, and this is the beginning of a journey for you to start making choices about what you want, who you are, and what you deserve, and what you need. It's fun. I love it. Thinking about, you know, as you mentioned, like the personal safety of survivors, but also community. Uh, safety. Like, why is it important to support victims in recovering uh, from trauma uh, that they have went through? Yeah, when they know that they have a TRC behind them, even the systems uh, tend to respond differently, knowing that we're with them, we're walking with them. They know they have reinforcement and they know we're serious and they know we're there to make sure the diligence is due. And so that makes a huge difference, uh, you know, opposed to the way that things have been in the past where even if survivors are in a line for services, they kind of show up. They don't know what to expect. They don't know, uh, you know, what grand jury's like. They don't know if they have a choice to sit through uh, a trial and look at exhibits that they don't have to. Things of that nature, just being able to walk and navigate that process, saying, hey, you know, as a survivor, you have rights. You can choose to do this or that and don't let anyone. And also bringing law enforcement and other providers on board, let them understand and vet them to know that you you can't do this and that you shouldn't do this. Uh, Even if you're desperate for information, you're not going to do this to the survivor that we're serving and they're going to know their rights. It's been good. And Dory, you mentioned something earlier about, you know, the the Trauma Recovery Center. You know, when I think about uh, TRC, uh, it's not the traditional uh, way of of providing services uh, to victims. Earlier you mentioned that, you know, at the Safe Harbor TRC, not only do you all provide uh, service for victims, but you also have that social justice uh, lens as well. Um, you know, uh, Steve, you mentioned that, you know, a lot of people who've come in contact with the justice system have been victims of, of crimes before uh, and that, you know, their trauma went unaddressed. So, Dury, we'd love to hear from you, you know, um, you know, what can people in the justice system learn uh, from victims uh, recovering from trauma? I think the first and foremost idea is that the non-judgmental, non-pathologizing view of trauma, uh, really thinking about a resilience lens, not what's wrong with you or even what happened to you, but how are you strong and resilient and how do we support enhancing you coming back to that resilience point. Um, I think justice system needs to really focus more on rehabilitation and care and recovery. The idea of justice systems being the criminalization of mentally ill and that movement that began many years ago that now lends to... um, Uh, prisons and jails being the largest in many states, 44 states to be exact, the largest mental health facilities in the nation. Uh, Twin Towers is one of them. 
the largest mental health facility in the nation is Twin Towers Correctional Facility. And this is the first line of theoretical care to people suffering uh, with mental illness or even just the effects of uh, this trauma we're talking about, the structural injustices, the oppression, the discrimination, the harassment. And so we really need to think about um, how does care really begin in these settings, if they have to be the first setting settings, and maybe diversion diversion programs, enhancing those, increasing funding for diversion, finding alternatives to jail sentences and prisons when it's warranted and when it's possible. Our nation is the lowest compared to others uh, in the modern world, in non-third world countries, where the the crimes are punished as opposed to really being addressed as a rehabilitation effort. I think that's what I would like to uh, impart to law enforcement and the legal system. Yep, and, and Steve, I know you, you do a lot of work with law enforcement. We'll, we'll, we'll love to hear from you. You know, what can people in the justice system learn from victims recovering from trauma? Yeah, I think what we've been able to do with law enforcement locally is make sure that we partner with them on trainings to where we're informing one another about this progressive model and how there's a better way to care for survivors and community. One of the things that we have gone to, which has really helped us to bridge the gap with law enforcement and the way that they're seeing things to get a different lens and a perspective is that our speakers bureau, where we've vetted a few speakers who have been survivors of crime, who like, as you were mentioning the resilience piece, being able to share their stories, even to like networks such as like uh, law enforcement outlets and different providers uh, and getting them on like in spaces where they can just tell their story and that, really what life has been like for them and what it is now and how they're healing. And now they are a valuable asset to the community to just break that cycle and stigma about even someone who's had some, some past criminal uh, activity or involvement that we don't need to continue to like beat them down and keep them down. We want them to come back and join community and be contributors. And we see that we have so many success stories in that fashion, and, and we're going to keep on bringing those to the table, definitely. You're looking at one right here, definitely. Yeah, most definitely. And, um, and and crime survivors speak, you know, the power of, you know, one thing I love about crime survivor safety and justice is, is building, you know, a community of survivors, providing that, that peer-to-peer support, um, providing opportunities for survivors to uh, tell their stories, uh, 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 of triumph, their stories of resilience uh, that can help so many other uh, crime stories. So excited to just hear, you know, about you all speaker bureau um, and, and how you all are, you know, not only providing uh, services that are much needed for survivors, but also uh, having them engage in advocacy, uh, having them engage in, in, in changing uh, policies to better support uh, th- their their community. So you all have been, you know, tr- trauma recovery centers, uh, you all have been operating for a few years now, um, I know you all are doing amazing work. You know, I know there's more work that you all will be doing. Uh, Dorit, we'd love to start with you. You know, if you could have a, a magic wand, what would you want to see uh, to help victims recover? So our listeners are crime survivors, uh, organizations, elected officials, key stakeholders, uh, influencers at the federal and at the national and, and local legend uh, level. If you had that magic wand, what would you want to see to help victims recover? 
I love that magic wand question, Aswad. Yeah, I think what's needed is a vast political, economic, and systems approach to healing individuals and radical healing, again, of communities. And that really necessitates a fundamental change in the way we see those trauma survivors, the way we think about trauma, the way we perceive what this idea of resilience is and and how to promote it. And so there should be advocacy, not just at a victim's compensation and victim services, but really starting at a very young age. Our our trauma center begins uh, with age three. So really looking with children, working with children to really offset those adverse childhood events. And so I'd like to see more funding, more resources, more education, more work with uh, law enforcement in terms of training, uh, something we also do, but we need more of that. Uh, And that doesn't just come to dollars and cents, it comes to making this a priority, making this a actual incentive to promote this healing we're talking about uh, that's not only just cost-saving, but it's a way to promote um, human thriving and lessening suffering. Thank you, Dree. What about you, Steve? You could have that magic wand. What would you want to see to help victims recover? Yeah, on a macro level, I'd like to see uh, the uh, administration take a deeper look, a deeper dive into what these centers are doing, the impact that they're having across the nation, even with 39 and counting. I was at 35, uh, and so they're growing. But I really believe that uh, in Washington, uh, we need a line item, uh, a major line item that would allow us to do everything that she mentioned. And that it goes long, it goes far beyond just the funding piece, but we definitely need the funding in order for these centers to be in different cities. And I like the fact that we do want to start working with survivors and people in trauma at a very young age. So even like here at our agency, one of my wish lists would be for us to have the funding to bring on more youth advocates to work with youth who are trained professionals to do that youth work and also more clinicians who are geared. And we have a few, but I want more because I just would like for it to spread like wildfire in our community to where more people are served uh, at the gates of trauma and, and being in distress to where we can really have impact and the stories will grow and we'll have a healing community. A healing uh, community, you know, as part of my, you know, work at Crime Survivor Safety and Justice, you know, we need a trauma recovery center uh, in every city uh, in this uh, country. Uh, every day, you know, people are experiencing uh, crime and violence with, with little support uh, to help them uh, heal uh, and, and recover. So, you know, just thank you all for just the incredible work uh, that you all um, are, are doing to really help victims heal, um, but also to help their family uh, heal as well. When someone is a victim of a crime, it not only impacts that individual, but it impacts that entire family. It impacts the uh, community as well. So just really want to thank you all for, you know, the great work that you and your staff are are, are doing on the front lines every day to provide the support uh, for survivors. Um, before we uh, close out uh, today's episode, um, as I mentioned, we have uh, 70,000 members. We work with, you know, dozens of organizations uh, across the country um, and listening. Uh, we have people across the country, you know, that have joined, you know, together to support each other and to advocate for change. We created this Crime Survivors Week podcast for our members 
Um, so we'd love to hear from each of you. Um, do you have a, a closing message that you would like to share with our Crime Survivor Network across the country? Dorit, let's start with you. Absolutely. And I think the most profound message is that a trauma doesn't have to mean a lifelong suffering because of post-traumatic stress, that there is a way to build resilience and grow after a traumatic event. And what it takes is integration and being able to find meaning from what happened and get the support and get the advocacy and get the resources to actually promote this growth I'm talking about, but that it is possible. Uh, it does take a whole village to create it, but it is not an impossible task to dream for and achieve. And it really begins with even small measures of perceived freedoms that then actualize to a better life. Thank you. And what about you, Stephen? Uh, a message that you would like to share with uh, crime survivors uh, across the country? I would simply say that we we hear you, we see you, and we are with you, but we have so much more work to do for you and with you. And our hopes are that this would continue to be a, a unity link where more crime survivors would be empowered to move forward and do more work and, and share this work with others and that in an abundance that we would all be able to like continue to watch communities heal across our nation in ways that we never have before, like a movement. Just we, we know this is a movement. We want this movement to continue to grow and move forward. And so all hands on deck, as we say here in our agency, that we're here for you. We see you and we're with you, but we still need to do a lot more for you and with you to honor you, to see you through this. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Dorit. Um, you know, when survivors speak, change happens. Thank you, Dorit and Stephen, for joining today's uh, episode of Crime Survivors Speak. We need to invest in trauma recovery centers. We know that uh, communities across the country, we cannot wait. We need help. We need healing. And we need to recover. Um, so invest in trauma uh, recovery centers. Um, if you want to learn more about the Trauma Recovery Center model, you can go to uh, www.cssj.org where we have resources and links to um, each trauma recovery center um, across uh, the country. Um, and once again, um, at the federal level, at the state and at the local level, listen to crime survivors and invest in, in champion models uh, that are meant to support uh, those who are most harmed uh, and least help. To read more about the Trauma Recovery Centers, uh, you can download the Trauma Recovery Center manual. Um, also, you can read the CSSJ National Crime Victims Agenda, which really speaks to a lot of the policy solutions uh, that we heard from uh, today's guests. Once again, thank you for joining uh, today's episode of the Crime Survivor Speak podcast. Talk to you soon.